Hello there. Thank you so much for listening to this recording. My name is David Collister. I'm the pastor at Current Silicon Valley. Uh, we had a little bit of trouble with the recording on Sunday over the first few minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture and uh, introduce the topic, and then we'll edit in to the place where we, we, we leave off in the sermon. So the scripture uh, this week is uh, the book of Job, and so I'm going to read from uh, just the first chapter, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the context of the greater story and, and the whole book. But Job 1, verse, verses 1 through 5, and then 13 through 22 say this, In the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of, of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another servant came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the swords, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead." And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now we, of course, want to avoid pain and suffering. But we live in a world that is crushed, that's broken, and there's there's pain and suffering all around us. I mean, even this past week, Cindy's and my uh, two of our closest of friends experienced a tragic, unexpected loss uh, of of a loved one. Now, spiritually speaking, they're strong Christians. They take their faith very seriously. Actually, he's a pastor. They're starting a church. Uh, where does that leave them in their pain and suffering? Where does it leave any of us? I mean, how do we cope? How do we live in the midst of it all? These are the questions the book of Job answers and seeks to help us through. Now, it's worth mentioning at the top here that this story is not primarily concerned with the why question. Why do we suffer? Or how could a good God allow pain and suffering? Now, it addresses these questions peripherally, and we'll, we'll touch upon them, but its main concern is helping us navigate through pain and suffering. And what we're going to look at uh, through the book of Job here are four helpful thoughts for navigating through pain and suffering. Now, the story of Job starts off with a theological bang. Uh, 
It starts off by describing Job as blameless and upright. Blameless and upright. Now, does that mean he was sinless, as the Bible would say it? Does that mean he was without flaws, that he was perfect? No. The Bible's pretty clear on that. I mean, King David, when he was writing one of his psalms, he said, Man, if God, if before you, you were to see any of our records, no one would be able to stand. Or the book of Jeremiah and the book of Romans, I mean, they just like cut through all of it and say, Man, the heart is deceitfully wicked. I mean, it's just, it's bent towards uh, flaws and, and sin. Um, so that's not what it's saying about Job. And yet Job suffers some crazy pain in his life. Actually, he comes in two rounds. You heard, you heard the first one read. He's out one day, probably in the fields or something. One of his servants comes up and says, Job, you've lost all of your servants and all of your livestock over there. Enemies rose up, attacked him with the sword, killed them. And while that servant is, the servant is finishing up telling that news, another servant comes and says, you've lost your, your, your livestock over here, your servants over here. And then another one comes up, same thing. And then the fourth comes up and says, Job, you've lost your sons and daughters. That was round one of his suffering. Round two is he had, he contracted such horrible skin pain and rashes that he just, he ends up just cutting it to like kind of deal with it, sort of, and then just lying there with basically the thought, I'm ready to die now. I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. And yet, he was blameless and upright. Now, here's how this was a theological or even a cultural just bang or shock to the system. The earliest readers of this in, in 1000 BC, if this was when it was earliest written, maybe even 600 BC, um, and then even stretching up all the way to the time of Jesus, they would have had the thought, they would have had the, 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 the belief system that if things are going well for you, if you have all the things that Job had, the family, the wealth, jobs, servants, then the divine or God had his favor on you. You're blessed. And conversely, if you didn't have those things, or worse, you were in the midst of pain and suffering, that meant he was displeased with you. It wasn't going well for you. In fact, that was still the thought by the time Jesus came around. His disciples were out one day. He, they, they were all walking together in the book of John. They come across a blind man, and the, the disciples ask Jesus, probably with an earshot of this blind guy, who sinned that this guy was born blind? His parents or himself? And the reason why, first of all, the text seems to imply that it was close enough that he'd probably hear, but it also wouldn't have been that weird of a thing for him to ask with an earshot of this guy, because this guy would have been struggling with the same thing, wondering all his life, who did I send to my mom? That was the thought of the day. Jesus said, neither his parents nor he sinned. But this happened, that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Here's the first thought. Here's the first thought to help us navigate through pain and suffering from the book of Job. Is we see that uh, pain and suffering has many reasons. And the reason why I think this is important, where I think this kind of comes home for us, where, as we think about what this means for us, is I think a lot of us, what we can tend to do, is we really struggle with, why am I hurting this way? We really struggle with the pain. It might be, it might be like the uh, superstitious sort of thing. It might be the idea of karma. Or it might be in, in like the religiosity of following God of the Bible. It's like, oh, I just deserve it. That may or may not be the case, but we often just get bogged down by that when actually the Bible says suffering and pain comes for any number of reasons. Yes, it can come to chastise or correct a person's pattern of behavior. Uh, for instance, uh, Jonah is like that. God sent a storm to kind of rewrite his ways. But there's a lot of suffering in the Bible, for instance, where it's not just about correcting past behaviors, but preventing future wrongs. You guys remember when we talked about Joseph? He was sold into slavery. He hadn't done anything, hardly. He was not the smartest guy. 
talking to his brothers the way he did. Oh, Dad likes me more. But that wasn't really bad. He didn't really deserve being sold into slavery. And yet God used that to raise him up, not only to, to eventually deliver him, his family, but the nation of Egypt, all these nations in the time of, of severe famine. God had bigger things. And then there's some suffering in the Bible that serves no other purpose other than to help us more clearly see God's kindness and his love for us. And that seems to be the case here with Job, even though we're not ever really given a specific answer to it. Um, there could be any number of reasons. The second thought, and that kind of builds off the first, is what we see here in the book of Job is, is God is sovereign. I mean, the whole, this is the big theme of the book, is if in pain and suffering, take heart because God is sovereign. Now, the, how the book of Job works is, you know, basically chapters 3 through chapters, uh, chapter 37, there's 42 chapters, so it's just huge chunk, chunk of text. It's Job, like, asking the question, how could this be? Like, where are you, God, in all of this? And we'll, we'll get to his, that, that thinking a little bit more here in a minute. But the big climax of the story comes when God comes, comes to him and says, Job, okay, you've been asking the question, you've been wondering, here I am, and here's what Jesus, uh, excuse me, not Jesus, well, it could have been Jesus, here's what God says to him uh, in, after all these questions, some of the most beautiful scripture recorded in the Bible. God comes and says, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Where, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? What is the way to the abode of light? Have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of, of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? Do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? On and on he goes, talking about the beauty and the beauty of the, the eagle on the mountaintop, the horse, strength, and its mane. All this is a beautiful text. Um, but let me summarize all this thought. God comes to Job and says, I'm God and you're not. And it was essentially with the thought of, and who are you? ultimately, to question my reasons for things. Now, I had a little bit of fun with that, because that's not the tone God said it to, to Job. It's interesting. I've, I've read Job, I don't know how many times, growing up, and through my own times of pain and suffering. It was in my study this week that it was the first time I saw, oh my goodness, do you hear the motivations and reasons God gives for how he works with all parts of creation, even though he doesn't specifically answer Job for why he specifically is suffering? He's talking about taking care of the fawn of his birth. Even the labor pains watching over the fawn. Or the, the storehouses of snow. Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble? And I think about that in the books of that in the 21st century. God is caring about the, the eagle perched up on the top. That Job, you ever see that? I'm caring about all these things. But the whole force of it is saying, Job, you might not get the answer you want. But you need to understand the motivation I have in all of this is love and care. It's watching over creation. And you got to think, Job, that if I'm watching over the fawn, the lioness and her cubs, I'm watching over you. Even in the midst of your pain and suffering, I'm watching over you. Um, you know, we, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that as a staff, we're um, a, a fledgling staff, we're, we're going through a catechism, which is basically a booklet of like concise statements of biblical doctrine and theology. 
which helps give you a framework for like kind of understanding the Bible. But also, it's really I've found it really helpful in terms of meditation. There's these really cool thoughts I'm just thinking about, uh, praying through, understanding them a little bit. And one of the thoughts uh, that we did this this last week was is God created all things in His powerful word, word and all His cre- creation was good. Everything flourished under His loving rule. Just to memorize this third reading. Um, but it was interesting, as we were talking about it, someone pointed out it's interesting, it's all in the past tense. Why is that in the past tense? All his creation was good. Everything flourished under his loving kind. Like, what, what happened? Well, of course, as we've been going through this one God, one story, the very first message was the story of how we said, you know what, God, thank you for creating things, thank you for creating us and for our enjoyment of it, and our enjoyment with you through it, but we're going to do it with what we want. We don't need you. Or we're just going to take this and, and live like one. And to God's great pain, knowing that it would hurt his relationship with us, our relationship with him, rather, knowing that our collective sin, as the Bible would say, it, would cause pain and suffering to enter this world, even to people like Job who don't deserve it. Have you ever noticed that often the worst of things happen to good people? Even that would happen, and it got allowed to happen because he doesn't want robots in us, but he wants us to love him for who he is. And so he said, okay. We chose it. But what the amazing thing is, is when Job gets to the end of the story, and he's confronted with God, and God gives him this answer, like, who are you? Don't you realize I'm God and I care? That Job is just blown away. He's never given an answer. He's never told Job, this is why he said, so if this happens, God, this book in your question, or whatever. He just says, I'm here for you. And for Job to pull him away. At the very end, I don't have time to go through all of this. You can look at it. It's chapter 38, and there's another one, 42. Job essentially says, oh my goodness, I am unworthy. You're too, you're too great. Did you even consider me? He's blown away. Sometimes, what he found is that in his midst of the pain and suffering, what he didn't really need was the answers, what he really needed was God. We'd often like to get the answers. The best answer is God gives us himself. In pain and suffering. You know, when uh, a couple years back, several years ago now, Cindy's dad was diagnosed with late stage non smoking lung cancer. He never smoked in his life. Worked out every single day, just about. Ate really healthy. And we were told out of nowhere, actually, right when we found out we were pregnant with Caleb first, right in like the same week, we were told that he had four to ten months to live. And we're just like, oh my goodness. Um, so many questions, emotions were going through our head. He had become a second dad to me. This was really, really hard. And so we were wrestling that through a prayer. God, how would you let this be? Like, what's the purpose of this? Like, how, how is this supposed to make sense? And, you know, it was God's grace to me. And, uh, you know, I really see it as a gift. It's, I feel like he gave me some resolution to those questions that I raised in the process. For instance, my father-in-law, in the midst of getting cancer and dealing with that, decided to put his faith in Jesus. Not in a hedging my bets sort of way, like I better get to heaven if I take care of this little piece, but finding God's goodness and kindness to me. I want to point And then at his funeral, there was literally 400, 500 people in this like huge, massive hall just hearing about God's love for them. And then afterwards, you know, I, I'd spoken to people kind of saw me. They came out, and there's not a lot of conversations, people wrestling through their pain and suffering, and that funeral gave an opportunity for them to wrestle through it. Uh, in, a, in any number of ways, current wouldn't be where it is today if he hadn't passed away. There's, I mean, just it took the iceberg. Just, I, I started, but that's all God's gift. You know what I really wish I could have done? Going back. 
I wish I could have said it. Instead of like, God, why? I wish I could have said, you know what, God? I don't understand what this is. Because you're good. I don't understand it, but it's good. And actually, that's how Job responds first time around. After his first round of, of suffering, Beth read these words. He said, Naked I came to my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow! He had just lost his kids. And he said, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But the name of the Lord be praised. I can't read those verses without thinking about my sister. My sister at age 13 was diagnosed with this rare disease. It's called Stargardt's. Which all that means is you lose your vision. Uh, you, you, she, she was becoming blind, and by the age of 16, the doctors were saying it was gonna her vision was going to deteriorate so fast she was going to be able to drive. Uh, the way she looks at you now today, it's like if I'm looking at you here. She's, she'll look at you like this, so she can kind of see a little bit. And her eyes get worse and worse. But at 13, she's told this. My dad is in the doctor's office. He hears this. He's thinking about his baby girl. My dad's not a choir. He teared up. But then my sister came up to my dad, 13 years old, and said, "Dad." It's going to be okay. If this is God's will for my life, it's good. I've never once heard my sister complain about her blindness. Never once heard her complain about her blindness. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. And you know what? Karen was top of her class, student body president, had grades. My brother, this is not the, my brother had the same thing. He's a surgeon now. But what I'm saying is, Karen, that's not me, but what, what I'm saying is, Karen could have done some stuff. Karen could have done some stuff. But you know what? She's doing some stuff. It might not be in the, the form that you think about, but she, there are starting churches in Oakland. You know, and the, she lives intentionally in the parts of Oakland where you hear one or two gunshots on average a week. With her four, with five girls, one boy, by the way. And she, what kind of woman is Karen? She's the kind of woman that at age 13, she said what she said. You just want to hang out with her because you just want that to rub off on you. God is sovereign. He can, we, he's caring for us. Even if we don't understand the answer, he can be trusted. But you know what's awesome? Thought number three is when we don't feel that way, he still encourages us to wrestle it through. He invites us to say, you know what? Wrestle it through. Because we're not all my sister Karen, who, by the way, would be the first person to admit she's not all of them, right? Because we respond to every single thing. She doesn't do that. We're not all Job, verse one, four, verse two. After round one suffering. After round two, chapter three starts up like, curse the day I'd live. Like, why not just, why not live this life? I mean, we're reading for you. Think about it here. Old Joe opened his mouth and cursed the day he was born. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said a boy is conceived that day, it turned to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. And Joe doesn't hesitate taking the matter directly at God. Chapter seven, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? You see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? Job is just like going at it. We have all these chapters, 33 through 3 through 37 of Job just going at it. You know what I think that, and by the way, at the very end of it, God says to Job, and he didn't speak untruth about it. He spoke, he spoke what is true. And actually, at one point, it even says in all of this, he, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, he didn't go off the deep end and say, God, you're just blaspheming me. Just like, oh, you know. But he was wrestling it through with fear and trembling. God, how could this be? And God then said, you spoke true about me. I think that means God invites us to wrestle through with him. In other words, I 
love this thought. Think about this for a second. God is not saying, bottle it up, pretend it doesn't exist, find a rug, sweep the whole motion. He's saying, if you're struggling with that, you've got to struggle with that. Wrestle through. I give you permission. And you know, God often meets us there, precisely there. We had some other friends about a couple of years ago. Their, their toddler was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, uh, uh, tumor. Uh, not getting along to live. They were devastated as a tree kid. And by the way, they surveyed missionaries. Um, it was obviously a very, very hard time. Um, and they were, what was really interesting about it is during that time, they blogged pretty openly and real about it as Christians. Um, at one point, they said, they said this. They said, our hearts are searching for answers that we know might not come. And it hurts. But God is good, which we simultaneously struggle to understand even as we receive it more deeply. I feel like that's a quite Jovian response. You know, real quickly, there's another helpful thought here. This is kind of a side thought. Um, uh, and this, uh, that I feel like there's a lesson for women who are suffering and pain. And this was not so much for those who are directly going through pain and suffering, but it's those indirectly involved who are friends and they're helping. Um, there's some really helpful thoughts because Job's friends show up. I'm just going to talk about this real quickly here. In chapter 2, verse 11, when Job's friends, three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, uh, and Zophar, heard about all the troubles that they had come upon, uh, that had come upon them, they set off in their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they recognized him and we out. And they tore the robe of spring on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. What's fascinating is if you read any commentator or Bible scholar on these verses, they'll all say, and this is where it quickly started to go downhill. It was good when they were with him, hanging out, sympathizing, and then they opened their mouths, which that's also a part of chapters 3 through 37. Job is wrestling it through, and his friends come up and say, yeah, Job, maybe you did deserve this. Maybe you just don't know it. They say all these things that may or may not, like, it's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. And at the end of the day, what it does is it actually ended up intensifying the pain for Job. Uh, same friends who, had, who, who lost their, their daughter to cancer. Um, at one point, uh, Alan was his name, he, the dad, he, uh, he wrote like an open letter, I don't I forget if it was on Facebook or on their blog, but he said, hey guys, I just, real, real quick preamble here, I'm speaking from a very raw state, so I'm not trying to like hurt feelings, but it's coming. And so, and then from there, he's like, okay, what, what's going to be said here? He, he then said, you know, guys, a lot of you, you're, you're trying to help me. You're, you're, you're trying to help us. You're sending your sem sentimentalities. You're sending your well-intended, your well-meaning verses from the Bible, and you think you're helping, but you're not. You think you're consoling us, but you're not. You're consoling yourself, which that was his raw state speaking, of course. Um, if you've gone through pain and suffering, uh, you know this, but the best thing we can do is what the friends started by doing. What'd they do? Verses 11 and 13. They went to sympathize with him. They sat on the ground with him. They wept with him. No one said a word to him. If you don't know what to say in times of pain and suffering, that's fine. You don't have to say anything. Um, often that's the best thing to do. I love the verse in, in the Bible. You guys, have heard, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say this any number of times. It's, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
we can just go and be with people in their pain and stuff. Just be there. Because sadly, often what happens when we're going through pain and suffering is we're, the, we, we're at our most isolated. Why? Because people don't know what to say. So it, people kind of avoid it. And what ends up happening is people who need to be surrounded are most isolated. But you don't need to have something to say. You just show up. And if it's a little awkward, that's okay. Just sitting there and loving and, and being there with them is all that it takes. Crying with them. And I would just add, this is not a biblical, this is a David thought. You don't have to stay too long. Just stay for a little bit. Um, but they need to know, we need to know that, that we're loved and we're cared for. You know, uh, here's another little thought. And before moving on to the next thought. Uh, I have found, we need people, let's say, let's say from a, 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 a spiritual perspective, we need people to speak into our lives during pain and suffering, to say things like, have faith. We need people to say that. But what I've found personally is that's helpful to hear, but there's, there's a greater power when I've been in the midst of pain and suffering, when somebody who's been through some hard stuff, pain and suffering themselves, come and say the exact same words. Are you following me? Someone just kind of like more intellectually, hey, have faith. And then someone who's been through some stuff, have faith. There's, there's a power there. Um, God encourages us to wrestle it through work it through with them. Fourth, last thought, best thought, is uh, what the book of Job shows us is God himself suffered for us. Um, we'll get to where that is in the text here in a second. But you can, you can read in Job very easily, get to the end, and be a little bit frustrated and say, I'm glad Job had his little encounter with God and that he feels better even though he didn't have his answer. I'm glad he had that. But you know what? My pain is real, and God still has to account for it. But he has. That's, that's the point here. Um, Jesus said, all the scriptures point to me. That's why we're doing this one God, one story. After he rose again from the dead, he was walking on the road with some disciples, and he said, guys, all the scripture, all, going back to Moses, Job included, it points to me, specifically my love for you in dying on the cross. You know, in Job, there's at one point, this is chapter 19, so basically right halfway through, in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his frustration, in the midst of all this heavy, he comes out and, he's, and he, he has a striking statement, which he at the time knew was this powerful statement because here's how he starts. Oh, that my words were recorded, that, we, that they were written on a scroll and that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Here's the thought. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Uh, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. What Job is speaking into, what he's prophesying, is about redemption. Uh, redeemer. We talked about that last week with Ruth. Kinsman redeemer. He's talking about, probably in the first place in the Bible where it appears, resurrection. I had a professor in seminary. Seminary is, this play, is, is a graduate school where pastors and missionaries go to get, get a degree. In, in seminary, who said they couldn't stand the end of Job. It's fascinating. The book of Job ends with God coming and saying, I'm God, but then God restores, redeems Job. Job has a better life than before. His, his family's reward, his health is restored, he has more wealth, he has more property, all these sorts of things. And my professor is like, I hate that. That bugs me. He's like, that's not how suffering often works. Suffering is you're often left in your suffering. I didn't say any of this to him at the time, but I was thinking it. Um, I was just like, but isn't that the point of the gospel? Isn't that the point of the Bible? For actually, actually, when you really get down to it, 
the, the book of Job, the very last verse of it, after he's been restored, he still dies, and, jo- and so Job died. What about that pain and suffering? Death is the ultimate pain and suffering. What about that one? Forget his little hurrah, you know, with more wealth and all. How do you... Um, Here's what's amazing to me about the promise of the Bible. It is not just, the, the things of the future is not just a promise of consolation. It's not just a, hey, and the bad things will, will come undone. It's, no, and having gone through the bad things, the future is going to be all that much better, more glorious and sweet. It's going to be that much better because it's going to be restoration. It's going to be resurrection. He, it's not just some spiritual state. He's Job says, he like emphasizes over and over again, I will see with my eyes, with these eyes, not another, my own. He's really hidden at home. How can this be that God redeems us, that he saves us, that, that even through, through pain and suffering, even the ultimate pain and suffering, that is death, he can, he can redeem us, he can restore us. And that is, of course, that this story points to Jesus. Jesus is the true and greater Job, the only truly innocent sufferer. sufferer. He gave up all of heavenly riches, all of the servants he could have gotten. He gave up his relationship with the father, family. He didn't, it, didn't, it didn't happen to him. He voluntarily gave it up, even though he didn't deserve that. He gave it up. Why? To come live with us. But not just to live with us, to enter into the midst of our suffering. I mean, he was born into a climate where there's genocide happening. That's the Christmas story. Genocide was happening. I love how one Christian writer put it this way. God didn't give us a placebo or a pill or good advice. He gave us himself. He came. He entered space and time and suffering. So then, how do we navigate through pain and suffering? Uh, It's with the saving knowledge of what he's done for us, and that is defeating pain and suffering on the cross. By dying for our sins, we can have not only a life redeemed, but a restored relationship with him. Here's how I think this all boils down as we kind of think about this in closing, is suffering can either push us towards or away from God. I feel like that's, in a sense, what Job is showing. Suffering can either push us towards God or away from him. Towards him, like my my father-in-law, again, who went, suffering is what helped him see God's goodness and kindness. It was was precisely because of suffering that he saw God's goodness and kindness. Um, you can either turn towards God or away. You know, that why question, why suffering, how does this make sense? You know, it's, it's an important question, and God doesn't knock us for having it. In fact, again, most of the book is wrestled through that thought. But it's not the most important one because it alone cannot help us in our pain and suffering. Um, ideas cannot bring lasting meaning, comfort, or hope. Only a person can only God giving himself to us in the midst of suffering. I've heard it said this way, Job, or, for, or, or us for that matter, we might not get a specific reason why we face the pain and suffering that we face from God, but we sure, we sure have gotten uh, an answer uh, to what it isn't. And that is, it isn't that God doesn't love us. It isn't that God isn't un- that he's unaware of what we face. It isn't that he doesn't care. No, he gave us his son. And it's through that relationship and offering himself that we have the freedom not only to have the promise of restored life, or even better than restored life, but we have the power of a relationship to help us through, give us the comfort, peace, and hope through even the worst of pain and suffering in this life.
And so if you haven't received him, receive him. If you have received him, it's an invitation to lean into him. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that at the end of the day, the message of the Bible is not all, you're going to face suffering and you deserve it, or you're going to face suffering and suck it up. But the thrust of the, of the message is, I love you, even to the depths of the worst of pain and suffering. And so we're just so thankful. Um, Lord, for, for those who are here today where this is not just academic, this is not just intellectual, but this is very real right now, would you, uh, as Job experienced in a way that we can't even feel sometimes intellectually, but, but he, he felt when you came, you spoke, would you, would you help them feel your touch? A very real touch. And would you minister to them? And would you help all of us? as we face pain and suffering in this life? And would you help all of us help others who face pain and suffering in this life um, to bring healing, wholeness, restoration, and most of all, your love? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to continue our time of worship and taking uh, the offering. If you're new with us, what we'd love from you, as Beth mentioned earlier, is, is, your, is you to fill out this card. This will help us keep in touch with you, get you information. If you have any questions about the church, questions about anything, if you'd like to know about uh, what it means to put your faith in Jesus or what, what that might entail or anything about baptism, all that sort of thing, you can just check it and let us know. There's a place to write on it. We do read these things. If you have prayer requests, we pray for them, uh, pray for you guys regularly. Uh, we'd love for you to fill that out. For those of you who call current your home, uh, this is our time where we give back to the Lord a portion of what he's so graciously given to us. I know a, a number of you give online, as my family does. That's worship, too. So I encourage you at this time, uh, if, that's, if that's how you, you, you worship the Lord in, in your offerings, that you would uh, take this time to meditate on that. Uh, the last thing I'll say before we sing is, especially due to the kind of the topic of what we're talking about today, is we want to make ourselves available for prayer. If there's anybody who wants prayer, either you're facing pain and suffering or someone around you is, you want to be praying for them, or there's just something else on your mind entirely. Uh, I'll be sitting up here. Beth will be up here. Um, we'd love to pray for you. But let's continue to sing at this time.